Hey, everybody. Hi, guys. Well, from gloomy Salt Lake City, Utah. It's Thank God I'm Atheist. The podcast. I'm Frank Feldman. And, and I'm Dan Beecher. And coming up today, we have an interview. We don't do those all the time, but we've got a good one for you. Yeah. Uh, one Mr. Michael, Michael Ferguson. Ferguson. Dr. Michael Ferguson. Yeah. He's, he's a, a neuroscientist. A neuro. He studies your neurons. Fancy. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, he's got some great things to talk part about. Part of part he was he was he was part of a huge research study that uh, just came out, made some headlines uh, about uh, what the brain does. Yeah. This this is your brain on religion when when you're feeling spiritual. When you're feeling so spiritual, <laughs> it's just about what what happens in your old noodle. Yeah, and so yeah, so there's that, and uh, and then we've got all all the regular stuff for y'all. Oh, it's coming, not regular. Coming right up. I have a warning right for now. you. Right now. This is beyond regular. Yeah. It's okay. terrifying. What have you got? That's terrifying. The earth is going to end. Oh, no. Apocalypse, my friend. Like, but in, like in a few billion years or something, right? 2016 is the last year uh, before uh, the <gasps> Christian uh, everything comes to a, to a head. Wow. Uh, and and this time they're sure. They're sure because of computers. Oh. They've used computers on no. this one. I don't see how it could go wrong. Now they've got uh, it figured out. A, a, a person named Nora Roth, she, she's a programmer. Oh. She has performed complex calculations, <laughs> apparently. Um, sure, yeah. You know, as you do, based on... Apparently, there's a, uh, a a thing in the book of Daniel, uh, my favorite book in. in the Why Bible. is that? It's just named well, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a, a good solid oh, name for a book. Huh, okay. Uh, anyway, in that book, there is a mention. That, so uh, there's a lot of like dream interpretation and stuff in Daniel. There's a lot of like. Oh. Like kooky prophesying and whatever. Oh, and one of the prophecies of Dan in Daniel is that there are seventy sevens that are decreed seventy before to put an end seven. to sin. The seventy sevens, okay, which is so like is so crazy. Like it doesn't mean anything, uh, which means it can mean whatever you want it to mean. Uh, but seventy wow. sevens. Uh, so, um, thankfully, Ms. Roth has, has given us an answer as to what that means. She figured it out. Wow. Wow. Uh, it means that there are, uh, it's a, it's a period of time before the Messiah comes and rids the world of sin. Wow. Uh, so she has interpreted that to mean 70 Jubilee cycles, <gasps> uh, a Jubilee cycle. <laughs> Oh, is man. a unit of time. Uh, so apparently the Bible uh, says that uh, the word... By who's reckoning? Ah, uh, we'll get there. I, by <laughs> magic. I don't know. Uh, the Bible says a working week should be six days long with a rest day uh, okay. on Sunday or on Saturday, Friday. What is the Jewish one? Anyway, depending on who you're talking to. Um, <laughs> Sabbath, Saturday. Shabbat. Yes. Uh, the, so she says, that, so apparently there's this larger cycle uh, the, the God told the children of Israel to plant and to harvest their land for six years and then let the, the, the land rest for a seventh year. 
seems like less good advice. I don't know. I don't know. That sounds, again. Work your land, people. No, you got to let it rest. You do some permaculturing. It's important, fine. Dan. Back in uh, the day. You just got to rotate your crops. That's what you got to do. Well, there's uh, that too. So apparently, apparently, a jubilee cycle consists of seven of the larger units mm. followed by a year of rest. So that's a total of 50 years. So 70 jubilee cycles beginning in 1416 BC when God's children entered Canaan. Yeah. Leads us to end of the world, 2016 AD. Here we are. Wow. It's computers, people. You can't fuck that up. Wow. Computers don't make no, mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, there is the whole thing of user error, though, Dan. Uh, I just explained it to you. <laughs> I, and if the user is uh, a crackpot, <laughs> you're going to get a crackpot result. Uh, I just explained. I, garbage in, garbage out. You tell me what the flaw is in her reasoning, because I'm telling you, <laughs> it sounds perfect to me. Well, I mean. 77s, uh, Frank. 77s. No, I know. And there have been few things in my life that have made me quake <laughs> with, uh, in my boots. Yeah. And I have to say, 77s. Yeah. That's a good one. That's, that's, wow. that's, that's as serious as it gets. Woo. 77s. All right. So, you know, enjoy your last couple of weeks, kids, because uh, it's all over. Yeah. Well, I have the story, Dan. Okay. Coming to us from a town in in the UK that on the surface looks like should be an easy name to pronounce. <laughs> but... I don't. I. I. I'm leery. I'm, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be sucked into the easy appearance of a of an <laughs> English town name. It's not in Wales. <laughs> you can pronounce it. Pronounce it. Go ahead. Caln. That's how I'm pronouncing it. Okay. How's that I, spelled? C a l n e. I. It's on the surface. It looks easy. I know it can't possibly be. <laughs> They're tricking me somehow because they always do. They do weird things with. Syllables you're not supposed to say. It's and... actually pronounced Columnshire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, the people of Caln, uh, they uh, they have broken a world record, Dan. <gasps> oh, good for them. Um, the uh, this is a Guinness Book of World Record. Uh, for they now hold the record for the largest nativity. Oh, live nativity. People participate like actors, right? Oh, 1,254 people. 1,254 people for this thing. Did they all have towels on their heads? Uh, they all had to be in some sort of costume. Okay. Some most, I guess a lot of them showed up already in costume. Oh, good. Uh, and uh, others were provided with costumes. They had a, a, a very simple counting system where everybody got a wristband. Oh, okay. And they so they knew how many wristbands they'd given out. It was all very official. Um, they must have had representatives from Guinness there. The, re the wristbands and, uh, must have represented... The, the bands that uh, Joseph and Mary wore on their wrists. Yeah, well, I'm also... They entered Jerusalem, uh, Nazareth or whatever. Is that where they were? Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like uh, it's one of those yeah. things. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Right. Right. Yeah. He was the Nazarene. Yeah, he was. Mm -hmm. 
beyond that, I don't know much about him. Um, however, yeah. yes. the, do you know who had the record? Oh, who, this? The, the, the town from whom this was stolen? It doesn't say the actual town. Oh, it was a person? No. Okay. It was it just, it's a, it's a state. Oh, okay. Mentioned. I'm going to guess Pennsylvania. No, Utah. Oh! They took it from us, Dan. Oh, no! In 2014, the good people of our state rounded up 1,039 people. Oh, I think I remember this. Yeah. I think we, were, we, we talked, talked about this. We talked about it. We did. Uh, oh, they took so, it from us. All I'm saying is, it's a decent-sized city that we live in. I think these motherfuckers... They in, need to uh, go down. They need to go down. But we need to do it in splendid... Fashion. Just, just, just crush them. Yeah, round up like five thousand, like 10, half a million people, half a million people. We're just gonna get everybody in on all this. of Utah County. No one's gonna break this one. All of Utah. All they have to do is they have to step out of their house, dressed in costume. We're 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 gonna walk p- around. We're gonna shine a big light that represents <laughs> the star from the Y from the, the Y rock on yeah. the mountain. Yeah, representing BYU. This is not hard. And we, we will can do this. We can we can wreck them. <laughs> we will destroy them in Kralum Flalum, England. In Carn. That was one of the pr- suggested pronunciations. With, I don't know why. With an R? With an R. Okay. That's why I was like, oh shit, I think this is bad. <laughs> um, and uh, one of our British listeners will surely. Oh, they'll like, correct us, I'm us sure. Um, but yeah, big nativity. It begs the question as to why. No. And, 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 well, and also seriously, uh, I think it's a little bit of overkill (laughs) for a nativity because how many, how many roles, how many parts are there to be played in a, in a nativity? I mean, you think about it, you got, cause in the, in the main story itself, you got like seven or eight people. Yeah, that's it. But in the larger Bethlehem region, <laughs> the greater, the sort of the metropolitan, the greater metropolitan uh, uh. Bethlehem area. Yeah. You, I mean, I mean, we may have to go beyond that because Bethlehem was probably like a small little. It was probably like six hundred people. So a hamlet. It was just a baby. Yeah. So I mean, maybe maybe we have to expand to like sort of the county, you know. The city of David, I guess the 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 greater David Davidian notion. <laughs> By the way, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna start a band called the Greater Davidian Notion. I hope you yeah, guys okay. uh, buy our album. But anyway, you're talking about the the Greater Bethlehem area. Eventually, you get to 1,200 people. Yeah. Eventually. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, nonetheless, they did it over there in the UK. Yeah. I'm crying foul. Uh, let's get back on it, people. Yeah. Before somebody else does. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go to Roma, <gasps> oh. the, the the Vatican City, uh, the Holy See, oh. as it were. Why is it the Holy See? Uh, the, it's the Holy See. You see what we're doing? Uh, the Catholic Church, uh, Mr. Pope, Mr. Pope Francis, has reaffirmed... Senor. Has sent the very the the full uh, unabashed signal okay. that gay people, oh no, gay men, oh no, 
are not to be priests. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, this is which, problematic. Which brings up the one big question, which is, <laughs> who the hell are you going to get to be your priests then? Well, it cuts out about half of them. At least. Think? At least. I don't know. I mean, you've got, you've got a whole group of guys. I mean, let's face it. The, the Catholic Church tells you, if you're, you're a gay kid, you're growing up, the Catholic Church is like, it's bad to be gay. You can't do it. Blah, blah, blah. Right. And you're like, well, shit, I'm gay. What am I going to do? Right. And then they say, so basically that means, like, if you want to be good, if you want to please Jeebus, you can't have sex <gasps> that you want to have. Right. Well, who doesn't have sex? Priests. Right. Theoretically. Yeah, they're not supposed to. So they go to the priesthood. Of course they do. Yeah. It's their only way to, to, to sort of work into the system. But then they find all the sexy fun times. Right. With other... In the seminary. Yeah, with other, they, other hot, they put hot the, priests. They put the semen mm. in seminary. I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, well, it happens. The seminary? <laughs> seminary. See what I did? I don't know about that, Dan. <laughs> I think it's good. Anywho, uh, yes, um, there's, there is a 2005 document on the subject of gay priests, which oh. says the church, while profoundly respecting the persons in question. <laughs> oh, they so love to say so. that. Yeah. They're so good at profound wow. respect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cannot admit to the seminary or to holy orders those who practice homosexuality. <gasps> oh, there's the word practice. Yeah. If you don't practice or wait, oh, no, sorry, I stopped too soon. Those who practice homosexuality present deep seated homosexuality, homosexual tendencies or support support the so-called gay culture. Yeah. Well, what yeah. is it? What does it mean, though, to practice homosexuality? I mean, uh, is, is it I mean, do they really just reduce it down to the sex act? Or because like, do you can't somebody be celibate and be homosexual? But are they practicing? Because you know what they say: practice makes perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I know about. I know about <laughs> practicing homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but you know what I'm saying, right? Right. right. Like, I, you know, at what point not... are you? I mean, like, if you just ogle men, is that practicing homosexuality? Right. Do you have to touch? Is a finger? Is that practicing? Like, come on, you got to draw some Depends lines on what here. What the finger's doing, right? And where it goes, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, this, it's uh, it. I think the onus is on the Vatican. What are you doing to draw finger? those lines for us? We <laughs> yeah. we need to know. They, they need to expound. Yeah, we need more detail. Exactly, detail people. This is not. You're you're being a little. You're being f- too vague. You think you're being specific, but you're, but not. you're not. You're not. You're not. And you know it. <laughs> you got anything else? No, that's it. Uh, all right, Dan. Yeah? <gasps> Which one first? <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, a trend that apparently is happening in American hotels. Okay. Um, fewer and fewer of them are placing Bibles. I've noticed this trend. Yeah. This is I, happening. I I do a sweep pretty much every hotel I go oh, to. really? Yeah. To look for the Bible? I look for the Bible. Well. I know a lot of atheists who, like, play hide the Bible. 
but right. I don't know that that's I don't I don't do that. I just look for it. Are you familiar with a company called Marriott International? I I've heard of them. Yeah, that, that would be it's kind a, of a big name in Salt Lake. A big name in hotels in general. Yeah, well, yeah, worldwide. Hotels. But I mean the Marriott name. Yes, uh, uh, big time Mormons. Big Mormon family. Uh, they have a they quite own a, wealthy. A big chain, a conglomerate yeah. of hotels. They've got a lot of different brands. Oh yeah, uh, which I can never keep straight. I don't know. They're, they uh, there's supposedly a difference between a courtyard Marriott and a. Blah, are you blah. are you familiar with addition hotels? Addition, uh-huh. addition, like uh, oh. the new edition of the the magazine. No, I've never been to an addition. The addition. Uh, there's Edition, there's Moxie, mm. there's AC, there's, where was another one that was mentioned? Um, anyway, there's a, they're, they're, they have a bunch that you may not even immediately realize are Marriott. Right. Right. They're basically every hotel in the world is owned by one of three companies at this point. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, Protea, Protea. Huh. P-R-O-T-E-A, huh. Protea, maybe, I don't know. Uh, so uh, Marriott International had made a decision uh, earlier this year um, to no longer place Bibles or Books of Mormon in uh, AC, Moxie, Pro- Protea, and Edition Hotels. Oh. Um, however, uh, on second thought, they decided to uh, let the Protea and Editions and Protea and AC uh, get the Bibles and the Books of Mormon because they're geared more toward your traditional traveler, whereas uh, Moxie and Edition are uh, targeted more at millennials. Oh. They're supposed, they're supposed to be hip. They're the young hip brands. Right? Millennials don't like that like Bible look, stuff. Look at that logo. Ooh. Moxie Hotels. M- Moxie. Woo! Boy, they've got a really wide X. Oh, yeah. The widest and, X you've ever seen in and your life. Apparently, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of hotels, they're no longer doing like the full-on nightstand. They're doing like more of a shelf thing. Yeah. And the Marriott has had to acknowledge that it's it's a lot harder to place a Bible or a <laughs> Book of Mormon when there's no drawer. Yeah. Because And, and they actually say this in the article, that, that putting... The Book of Mormon on the shelf, unhidden, unhidden is a much stronger statement yeah. than putting it in the drawer. Yeah. And they're unwilling to do that. To make that stronger statement. They could ask for drawers to be put in to Moxie Hotels, but they're not. That is an interesting point. Because you know, millennials don't like drawers. No, millennials they hate want, drawers. They want shelves. They're bad All at drawers. All shelves. They're, they're bad at drawers. <laughs> They, they just like, can't. I don't blame them. It, you know, drawers can be tricky. Yeah, but you never know. Like, how hard do I need to pull? Yeah, you know. I and and like, if I close this too too quickly, will it make a noise? Right. You, or, it's just it's too much to think about. Yeah. I, I this is funny because Andrea, my wife, uh, mm-hmm. is a, as you know a very successful interior designer, mm-hmm. and uh, one of her next projects that she would like to do is like a boutique hotel oh yeah i'm gonna tell her get rid of the drawers (laughs) 
They don't like drawers don't give them the op- Don't give them the option for drawers, and then the Gideons don't have anywhere, anything to, anywhere to exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah, no yeah. drawers. Yeah. Who uses drawers in a hotel room anyway? I have a friend that I've traveled with a couple times, and uh, she is an unpacker. She unpacks everything, puts it all away. I was, I was surprised. Hangs, full, hangs and drawers up uh-huh. all of her stuff. Yeah. Moves in. Yeah. For the night. Yeah. I, and I was just kind of like, well, I guess why not? I never have. I just open my, well, I usually travel with a backpack. Mm-hmm. And I just open up my backpack and work out of that. Yeah. Ta-da! Done. You're so immature, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, what's amazing, though, is that, you know, the Marriott's, um, you know, they uh, they always put the Book of Mormon in and everything. Yeah, because that's the true revealed word <laughs> of God. In addition to a Bible. In addition. Uh, and uh, and now they're uh, they're kind of betraying this this tradition. I think know? they need I think hotel chains need to start picking different books, just like interesting stuff. Wouldn't that be nice? Give people a, an actual interesting book in their room. Yeah. Some classics. Yeah. Put, uh, you know, probably uh, Great Gatsby. Yeah. Probably. Maybe something travel related that's, that's, that's fun, you know. Well, here's the deal, though. A little, you, little, little bit of Hemingway, maybe? I don't <laughs> The sun also rises. <laughs> uh, you don't want people to take the books, though. No. And the one nice thing about it being a Bible <laughs> or a Book of Mormon is most people will just leave it. Nobody gives a fuck. They don't want that. That's just clutter that they're well, taking home. they either have one already. Right. Right? Like, this is what's never really made sense to me about this whole thing. If traveling with a Bible was important right to this person they would have brought one along right and in this day and age if they're all that bible-y they probably have a bible app on their phone yeah i take the bible with me everywhere i go strangely do you have a bible app Uh uh-huh shut up of course you do do. of course i do oh my god got the book of mormon on there too i would never let my phone be defiled oh no no it's great Hold on my bookshelf. I was in a conversation with some evangelical guy at one point and he was like blah 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 and i was like oh really let's look that up (laughs) <laughs> oh no! I shut him the fuck down. That he was, was awesome. Like, what? 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 You're not why allowed. You, to, that's you, my book. That's our you book. You that? can't have that. <sighs> yeah, really funny. Uh, I'm gonna go to uh, Judaism. Have you heard of this religion? It's a new one. Hmm. They call themselves the Jews. <laughs> uh, in Jerusalem, uh, there is a Israel has uh, chief rabbis. These really? are these are our orthodox men uh boss rabbis. They are the big bosses. They are in charge of what is proper what what is officially Jewish in Israel. Oh. And therefore, yeah. by extension, the world. Yes. Um okay. And they have made an announcement that okay. affects people all over the world, including at least one famous person that mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you about. Okay. Um they have made the decision that because here's the thing for a long time it they if you converted to Judaism which they kind of don't really want you to do oh no I, my understanding is they try to talk you out of it they every make step it of the way. very difficult to convert to Judaism yeah. uh but if you do if you go through the whole process if you know if if you you elbow your way in you go through all the different uh, forced waiting periods. Yes, you jump through every hoop. The process. You, uh, you, yeah, you. I don't know. You learn Hebrew 
and read the Torah. Yeah, I'm, I have no idea what you have to do to get converted. I honestly don't either. But it's I like know a, someone who it's like a years long process. I think it's more than that. She was telling me that it was like it was harrowing. Yeah, in fact, yeah, it was very difficult. Yeah, don't try it. Uh, anyway, um, so in this, so you go through this whole thing. You know, your your American Orthodox rabbi gets you through the whole thing. Says, mm. you know, waves his magic wand and says, you know. Hello, hooray, you're Jewish. Welcome. It's a mitzvah. <laughs> uh, then there's this thing. So then now you're Jewish and you want to go to the Holy Land and you want to be sort of part of, you, you want to connect with your new people in Israel. Oh, no. I smell something coming. Well, these guys got to decide, are you really Jewish or are you fake Jewish? And uh, And even though you went through the whole process, they could... Very easily say, ah, the rabbi that did yours, we don't count him. Fuck you, you're not Jewish. What? And then you're out. And at least by at least in terms of how Israel sees you, you are not Jewish. Oh my God! So there has been a call for the uh, for these rabbis to uh, for these chief rabbis, ah, the uh, head honcho. Yes, indeed. He's... To uh, to make that process more clear and to be transparent about which rabbis orthodox rabbis in the u.s can actually convert you oh and which can't uh so <laughs> they've they have now decided that yes they will be more There's, transparent they'll give you a list of the approved pre-approved you know if you don't go through the pre-approved you're still going to be under review you're oh still you're, there's still going to be a review process but if you get one of the pre-approved rabbis you'll be in good shape oh they just speed you right through well let me tell you something this affects people one ivanka trump oh is a convert to judaism oh uh, she married okay. uh, she married uh, a guy Jer jared kushner okay and uh, she has converted you to judaism so i think we're all waiting with bated breath see to if she see, gets kicked out to see if it counts if she gets accepted is yeah oh my god she has not as yet applied to israel to find out to, to find out if she's really a jew <gasps> It's so fucked up. She could be a fake Jew. I just love, like, you know, for me, right, growing up in a religion that's all about, come join us, come join us. Right, and being right. actually a little, uh, because both my parents are converts. Right. So there's, like, this, you know, fake or alternate history of my family in my head uh -huh. sometimes of, like, what if they hadn't? You know? <laughs> right, right. Like how could my life have, have wound up a little different mm. if my parents, you know, had sort of avoided the idea, like this conversion thing? Yeah. And so there's something just that I appreciate so much about <laughs> a faith that's like, no, nah, we don't want you. Get the fuck out of here. You're yeah. not a Jew. No, no, no. Mm. Go away. You, yeah. can't just, you can't just call yourself a Jew. Which, by the way... We Mormons, the Mormons do. Well, Mormons do that, but, <laughs> but because Mormons are crazy. But like Mormons, they're like, yeah, oh, please. Oh, join like, us. We need like, you. And they're crazy about it. Right. They're, oh, and it's just like the most heartwarming nonsense when somebody, you know, converts. Right. Well, yes, indeed. Oh, my God, oh my but God. I mean, but it seems, sounds like the Jews are all going, Oh God! Really? Another one? We, uh, oh, there's another one of us now. I mean, if you have to, I suppose we'll talk about it. But honestly, you don't. It's not. You don't want it, right? You don't want it. This. I, 
this you don't want. <laughs> I just feel like it's being the Lord's chosen people is not all that it's cracked up to be. Right. He is chooses that the attitude. He's I mean, very bad at choosing. The way he chooses, <laughs> he chooses and then he fucks with you for for millennia. He chooses you and then he's like poke 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 like makes everything awful. Yeah. It's the I don't know who fucked up if it was God or if it was the Jewish people. Yeah. But man, yeah, he didn't choose them very well at all. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the story, Dan, of a young girl in Germany. Yeah. A young Muslim girl Mm. in Germany uh, who the courts, the highest court in the nation now, the German Constitutional Court, is ordering her to take part in swimming lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Half of me feels like we need to stop the story right there. <laughs> Just leave it at that. <laughs> Just don't dissect it at all. No, don't don't explain anything. <laughs> I guess you need to, but I kind of uh, love that. Just that's good. Just on its own. <laughs> but let's go deeper. Let's go into the deep end uh, of the story. An eleven-year-old girl, Muslim girl, uh, who had objected to uh, taking part in a mixed swimming class at school. Uh, which is apparently a thing in Germany that's very important. They can require swimming. have to learn how to swim to go through German schools. Oh, my God. Um, She had had argued that um, even a burkini, right, Mm -hmm. this uh, full-body swimsuit thing uh, that has been popping up in Europe, uh, is a breach of Islamic dress code. Uh, and this, uh, because it is, uh, uh, the burkini reveals the shape of the body mm-hmm. and that goes against she's 11 her religion. Yeah. I mean, she's not coming up with this shit on her own. Right. I mean, of course not. Fed these lines. I'm just saying like, she doesn't even have a womanly body yet. Like, no, she's a child. Nothing to reveal. Right. But that's not the point. I guess it's not. Uh, so uh, the Constitutional Court, uh, well, I mean, you know, Germany's actually in, in the middle of a very serious national discussion about what to do with Islam right. in their nation. They, uh, Angela Merkel's government has allowed in over a million, something like that, uh, Muslims coming from, you know, Syria and other war-torn yeah, parts of, you know, the Middle East. Right. And uh, they're... You know, they've. It, it's an incredible gesture of. Um, yeah, I just think it's an incredible gesture to to be making, to be taking these people who need to have a place, right? In such large numbers. I mean, this is difficult for any society to to absorb a right. million people. Just an influx, just, that's boom, all of a instantly, sudden, right? right. Uh, so uh, she's been facing a lot of criticism. Uh, she's actually come out now and said that she is in support of a ban of uh, on full face Muslim veils mm-hmm. uh, in, anywhere in right. Germany. Like just they don't want it. Right. And uh, and so now there with this whole argument going on, this uh, constitutional court uh, looked into Islam. Right. And found that according to their interpretation, there is no binding rule in Islam 
to define oh. appropriate clothing. Oh, interesting. Fascinating. That should, and, and that's... That's the last line of the article. Usually the last line of the article is some weird throwaway. I'm like, that's like, that's so pivotal to like what they're talking about here. Well, that, I mean, Um, that sets a precedent that will have, if you'll forgive, ripple effects. It's a swimming story. Anyway, uh, throughout the society, I mean, now, you know, if the constitutional court has declared that there is nothing in Islam that requires... Women to wear that? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. We're going to see some trouble, son. Yeah, because now the court is getting in there and saying that they know best about Islam itself. Right. They're interpreting a religion's requirements for the members of that community. Right, but they have to, kind of, because they have to. there has to be some guiding principles, I guess, for making the laws and right. for enforcing the laws. And if all German children must learn how to swim... Apparently. <laughs> really? Then, it's, like, super important. Yeah. Swim class. I mean, knowing how to swim is important. One should know how to swim. It's good. No, no, Dan. Many a person has gotten through I, life successfully without I, ever swimming. I know, I know. But I was watching the Poseidon Adventure the other night. <laughs> and one of the characters yells out at one point that she can't swim. And they have to, at this point in the movie, they have to, like, dive down and swim underwater for, like, 30 seconds. Yeah. Dodging Just, all this, like, stuff and so they can pop up in, like, the engine room, right? Uh-huh. And she couldn't swim. And I was just horrified at the idea. Well, you, like, sweetheart, if you can't, I understand swim, that this you're was not a welcome script, on boats. You don't get to go on boats. This is my point. Yeah, right. Anyway, what is she doing? This was this was <laughs> this was dangerous behavior on her part, getting onto the Poseidon to begin with. You're putting us all at, in jeopardy with your non-swimming abilities. Yeah. So take off that. So I applaud the German government enforcing everyone to learn how to swim <laughs> because it then. It, it it makes script writers not be able to have such an easy little way to uh, go landlocked country. <laughs> Everyone now has to swim in the landlocked country of Germany. Germany has as a they're on the sea. I don't think they so. They have a sea. They have seaports at the north. The north? Oh, maybe. Uh, oh, okay. Maybe just there's that there's that sliver. Yeah, there's that at whole the top. there's that whole stretch. I was th- I was thinking the it south, but from. Denmark, all the way over to, uh, what would that be? Uh, Poland. Poland? Uh, yes. So uh, I thank you guys for listening to uh, Geography Talk <laughs> with Frank and Dan. <laughs> if you'd like to write into us about anything that we've said, uh, geographically or otherwise, on our show today. Uh, oh, and I've just looked it up. There's plenty of, uh, of coastline. Yeah, there's a up, lot. Up in the north. I was thinking the south. I wasn't actually mm. considering the north. There you go. Uh, <laughs> there are more parts to Germany than the south. Yeah, it's a big country. Uh, please feel free to write into us, podcast at thankgodimatheist.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail message. The telephone number is 424-666-8442. Go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Atheist. And while you're on Facebook, search for the TGIA Members Only Lounger and quest to join. It's a closed group, uh, so we do have to let you in, but we might do, we might do that. Well, yes. If we like you. We'll let you in. We're kind that way.
Hey, Dan. Yo. Uh, we got a little uh, clip of audio I think we should play. Oh, yes. Jo- this is this is one Mr. Gordon Klingenschmidt. Ugh, that's a dumb name. Uh, which, actually, uh, I don't know if, how good your German is, but Klingenschmidt is actually German for that little piece of poo that won't fall. Oh, a dingleberry. Yeah. Oh. It's a Klingenschmidt. German yeah. for dingleberry. <laughs> how fitting. Indeed. Uh He's a guy that looks like he belongs in on like on the wrong side of an episode of X Files, uh, but he very he's, f- very high forehead. He's his head is sixty percent forehead. <laughs> it's like sixty to eighty percent forehead. His how head. does that how does that even work? <laughs> it's just and then his face, very little chin, kind of scrunched little face. It's a square head. Yeah, almost all forehead. Uh, might be pug related. I'm not sure. Ah, Facially, yeah. Um, anyway, I, I wonder what kanji his face makes. <laughs> he's the, the the important thing is that he's got a message for us. There are demonic spirits inside of some normal people, maybe even uh, advertising executives at Zales Jewelers, who are now being given a choice: should they listen to the spirit of God? who would tell them to use their business in a way that promotes godly marriage and biblical values. I mean, they have a great opportunity. They sell diamonds that help people commit to each other. And yet, if that is a homosexual commitment, it is the opposite of a godly marriage. In fact, it is a demonic spirit, not only inside of the lesbian couple who are pretending to get married on this TV uh, commercial, but now influencing and ruling in the heart of the ad executives who have decided at Zales Jewelers that they should promote this as a good thing to all of America. They are deceivers, they are fooling the American public, and we need to expose that as wrong. Selling jewelry to lesbians. (laughs) What? How dare you? Oh my goodness. There's no way that could possibly benefit a diamond company to sell jewelry to... Oh, wait a minute. Now I'm seeing it. Just saw it. Just figured it out. Oops. This whole untapped market. Of course they're going to try to get lesbians in there. Yeah. To buy diamonds for each other. Because there's also the very strong likelihood, considering that these are lesbians, that they don't want diamonds. Yeah, you got to get them hooked on it. You, you got, got they they got to go after the gay men too, because those men are probably not doing diamonds. They're just they're doing like a, just a gold bar or, yeah. or a gold band. And you need to gaudy <laughs> up that shit. You need some sparkle. You need some if there's bling. someone you can sell bling to, yes. surely it's gay men. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, just like you know, pear shaped stone. Yeah, you know, um, set in there would be lovely, absolutely lovely, just beautiful. And these and and the lesbians, you know, they. One of whom, if if again, this is if this is a screenshot from that commercial, yeah, one of one of the lesbians in the commercial apparently is uh, the bad woman in Superman Two. <laughs> Do you remember her? Yes. Am I wrong? Doesn't that look just like her? Well, yeah, the the do the haircut is there. Yeah, as as played uh, by and, uh, and, by Trinity and, from and the maybe, Matrix. Maybe her nose as well. <laughs> anyway, she's got the same. same anyway, uh, the uh, yeah. So they but, look happy though. Look uh, at that ad. They can't be happy. They're 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 living, living in the in. The God's dungeon the of worst sin. kind of sin. The worst, not it, the worst kind, obviously, because that's gay men. Lesbians are pretty cool, uh, I think, universally. 
Everybody's like, every, especially if they're pretty, we're, they give them a bit of a pass. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, not the worst. Obviously, if it were gay men, it would be the worst. There are no evil penises involved. Right. Huh. Guys touching other guys. Ugh. It's, it's just worst. horrible. How dare they? It, it, it just it <laughs> makes Mr. Klingenschmidt just feel oddly tingly inside. All over his little Klingon body. He's, uh, he feels things. All right. We've had some folks write into us. Um, and I'm going to read something. Oh, good. From, uh, from one or two of them. Hey, Frank and Dan. Uh, this is Robin. I have been listening to since the beginning. Wow. That's a long time. That is a long time. We just, we we never even, we, we had no fanfare about crossing over the five year mark. I know. And we did it. We we did it just like last month. We hit five years yeah. of doing this show. Yeah, and you and I did exactly nothing to celebrate. <laughs> well, I mean, we we celebrated two fifty, didn't we? No, we didn't really. No, we did nothing. Oh, we don't. Well, care. it's just it's old hat now. It's so boring. It's well, <laughs> we're bored. Well, no, no I kidding. mean, like I think here's the deal: we celebrated our first anniversary. Yeah, because. I think we were just really surprised that we that, made it. That we made it. <laughs> it's true. And now it's just we just you know I just show up every week every at your week house and we just do the show. We sit down and record. Like it's just it's just what we do. Five years. Yeah. Uh, listening crazy. since the beginning says Robin. I am part of a the USA National Track and Field uh, program, the USA TF. Hmm. This is not a religious organization. The 1st of December, we had our national convention in Orlando, Florida, with all the delegates from around the nation. During the morning opening breakfast, they had someone lead all the delegates in prayer. Uh, hmm. The USATF should not take a stance on religion. It is, oh, excuse me. It is for the athletes. Our athletes range from atheist, Buddhist, Hindu, Jewish, Christian, and many more religious uh, and, and religions and, and ethnicities. Mouth can't work. Stop. Ooh, no, it didn't work. I'll try and get back into it. I'll try and uh, free the uh, free my tongue up a little bit here. All right. Uh, as my first time going as a delegate to the national convention, I was horrified. I plan on sending a letter to the FFRF. However, due to my status in the organization, it's very difficult to give my name out. Anyway, I mm. uh, just thought I'd let you know what goes on in the na- national world of track and field. That's wow. uh, great work, guys. I got it's news. everywhere, isn't I, it? Well, here's the problem. You could let the FFRF know, but if it's a if it's a private organization, there's nothing the FFRF can do. Yeah. If they don't get public funding, uh they can do whatever they want to. I guess that's that's the question. I don't I don't know anything about the organization. I, I don't so. either. I don't either. But huh. uh but good luck. Uh yeah, I mean if it were me, I would very much want to speak up for the people of minority religions. But uh, I understand that, you know, Robin, her, her position may be at stake. Yeah. For something like that. Okay. Who knows? All right. Well, good luck to you. Yeah, of course. Uh, speaking of the FFRF, should we listen to a voicemail? Uh, let's do. This is, uh, this is from um, uh, Thane. Thane. And it's a, it's a response to... Um, some uh to a writer in mm-hmm. from last week's show or the week prior 
Yeah, sometimes re- recently we had a we had a student write into us uh, about prayer in school and how inappropriate that was, and uh, we gave some advice, but Thane wants to uh, add to that, and we're glad he does. I'm calling about the situation, the, the uh, girl in Tennessee who uh, had some problems with her teachers and their overt religiosity. Um, calling to correct a little bit of a misapprehension, uh, uh, my son's recently went through something a little bit similar. His football coach likes to hold prayers and picks players to give prayers. And, of course, they're uh, evangelical, ultra-Jesus-y prayers because we live in Aurora, Colorado, second most religious uh, city in the state of Colorado, only behind Colorado Springs. And uh, so we contacted the Fafur, and uh, they let us know some of the same things you said, that they will file a – they'll send a letter to the district and tell the district they handle it um, and point out the violations. They asked for specific details, which we gave them. And then they told us that in most courts, not all, but in most, uh, if there is action taken, they can often file the lawsuit anonymously. So the child's name is never revealed, um, and there's a court order that seals the, uh, the child's name behind uh, this cloud of anonymity. So um, anyway, so if she does want to take action by just messaging me, sending a message to the Flipper, you can go on their website, and they've got a form you fill out. And you give them uh, as much information as you feel comfortable with, and uh, and then uh, they can send you back and take action. They're currently doing so here at uh, my son's high school in uh, Aurora, Colorado. And uh, hopefully maybe she can get some relief there in Tennessee as well. Anyway, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for all the work you do. Bye-bye. Wonderful. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, that's a, of course it makes sense that uh, protecting a child that sometimes a is so, might sometimes be a concern for some people in our legal system. Yeah, Not yeah. always, yeah, but it it can work uh, <clears throat> fine sometimes. G'day, Frank and Dan uh, from Down Under. This is Ray writing into us. Uh, I'm new to your podcast and an avid listener. I'm a funeral director in Brisbane, Australia, a, a city of about one and a half million people. My job entails immersion into every culture and religion and, the, and ritual there is uh, for safe passage into the afterlife. But when I stand in the mortuary fridge, all the deceased are the same kind of dead. That's true. <laughs> uh, what is your view from an evolutionary standpoint why humans, uh, who we have been here for, who we have been here for much longer than biblical perceptions, not evolved to accept death? Uh, without having to create afterlife deities, existence guilt, and ferryman rituals, uh, when did we become so afraid to die? I love what you guys bring to the uh, conscious awareness. The world needs more Frank and Dan mm. from Australia, from Ray. Mm. Well, thank you, Ray. Uh, what a fascinating question. I yeah. Because it does seem like there's something inherent to humans about needing a send-off. Ye- well, for a the send-off is nice because it's uh, it helps the living, you know, become more settled with the fact that, you know, this person's gone. Right. It's an official goodbye. Right. Right. We like to say goodbye. We don't like a lot of loose ends, I don't think. Yeah. With, with our relationships. But... We don't just move on. We're not... We're not... Uh, no. Robots, no. for God's sake. No, dear God. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's a, a strong desire to not die, typically. Well, yeah, I mean... Instinctual 
will to 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 keep on living. Yeah, you used you know? the word uh, evolutionary. My God, what's more, what's more, what greater evolutionary mandate do we have than to live? Yeah, and so if you can convince yourself that, oh well, I guess. I'm not really dying. I'm not really going to die. I'm right. not really going to stop existing. I just stop existing in this form. And then I get on a boat uh-huh. and then they cross me across a river. Yeah. And then I go and I do a different thing. Yeah. Forever. Phase two. Yeah. You know. I don't know what it is, really. Right. <laughs> Uh, and, it, and, and the stories really all sound horrifying. Doesn't really make a lot of sense if you stop and think about it. Just don't stop and but think. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna let that comfort me. Yeah, I'm gonna be okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's pretty clear that like, eventually, it wouldn't take long if we had no explanations for what happened after we died. It oh. would take exactly zero amount of time before somebody just started creating it because. The second someone dies and a kid goes, what happened to that person? Someone's going to come up with a story. Right. It's just instant. It's just going to happen instantly. If you don't have a story at, at the ready, one will appear. Well, what's wrong with saying, oh, they're, they, they went away. They're, they're dead. They're gone for good. Yeah. That happens in this the, world. Your body stops working. Yeah. Shuts down. And we dispose of your body. And you should rightly be horrified because it will happen to you, (laughs) Johnny. (laughs) And most likely in a painful way. I mean, statistically, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be pretty. No. Your your death is going to suck worse than this stupid life of yours. We like to delude ourselves. (laughs) We like to think about the person who dies in their sleep. Yeah. It's not going to happen to you. My grandmother got that. Years of pain. The only one I know of yeah. in my life. Who that's what that's what she got. Yeah. Otherwise it's uh misery. It's been some horrible things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway <laughs> disease for Christ's sake. Right. Or, Not good. No. My dad died in a horrible way. It's like yeah. the worst thing you can imagine. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> on that happy note, I just like to always get that out there yeah and i know that people <laughs> yeah i don't know why but people after a few years of knowing me stop calling but um <laughs> i don't know maybe it has something to do with being kind of a downer at times <laughs> but, <laughs> but the worst but i like to point that one out i like people just to contemplate and and start preparing themselves meditate on the misery of your advance, own death your death is going to suck it's going to be awful yeah not mine though what do you see yours is going to be uh i i'm i think you know the second i start to see that writing on the wall uh-huh that i'm i'm gonna take that that parachute and jump without the parachute really oh yeah really i will soar to my own death to my demise you want to just take care of it Take care of business, be in control. Take my take matters into my own hand. No, probably not. That's probably not what would happen. Yeah. But it's fun to fantasize about. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Woo! <laughs> Everybody brace yourself. It's good times over here. Oh, Frank and Dan. Fra- it's fun times with Frank and Dan. Welcome <laughs> to our new podcast, Fun Times with Frank and Dan, where we just talk about death and dying. Where all we do is talk about death uh, and dying. Hello, Frank and Dan. Uh this is uh, coming to us from a person who wishes to remain anonymous. 
Uh, I wanted to thank you for reading and discussing one listener's letter about the difficulties and reservations they have in assisting a religious charity. I'm an atheist who has similar difficulties from the recipient side of things. I thought this was a really important uh, thing. I I was really glad that we got this email. I'm generally reluctant to apply to most such charities for aid because I expect to be preached at and prayed over, often with the implication that my circumstances are what they are because I don't believe in their deity. I don't think the issue gets discussed enough in atheist circles, though I have suggested it uh, by writing by writing into one or two other podcasts in the past, usually around this time of year. A few years ago, I went to a local food bank that was uh, that wasn't is run by an interfaith group, and it was pretty much as I expected. They were serving hot meals at the same space where they as the staple food distribution, and I was there during meal time uh, due to my work hours. Yes, I have a job. Uh, everyone had to stop while a lengthy verbal prayer in Jesus' name was pronounced before they could eat. I suspect I looked as uncomfortable as I felt, and I was sure the preacher was sizing me up for some intervention. It was all I could do to stick it out and get the stuff I needed instead of flee the place, and I haven't been back since. Perhaps this seems to be complaining about a trifle, but I did not relish the prospect of having to hear their good news yet again, nor did I really need to be told I was ungrateful for not, ha- for not going along with their beliefs. Perhaps some of them are, going, are doing these things to be helpful, but, that's, but it's difficult to avoid the impression that their assistance has some major strings attached or that some of them are really there above all to win souls rather than to help. On a side note, I've also avoided attending one local atheist group's meetings because they tended to take place in a restaurant in a suburb that lacks good bus service. I do attend a humanitarian group uh, that is on a bus line and often get a ride from one or another of the members. I understand that they do not have... Anyway, I'm sorry. This this is a very long email, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to discuss that because I think that it's actually very important to talk about uh, A thinking about the recipients of of uh of charity i think mm-hmm. that that's a really important thing so yeah i mean supporting a charity that uh is religious it's not just about oh i don't want to support the religion it's that i i don't want to support the religious abuse of someone who's in need right and that's that's i i i think that that's clear but i wanted i wanted to underline that yeah but then there's also this but this other thing is uh a call f- for atheist groups to uh, to think about those who uh, can't. She uh, she goes on. He or she. Sorry, I don't know. Actually, no. Uh, oh no, I think anyway. Goes on to talk about how a lot of atheist groups meet in restaurants, hmm. and that makes sense because it's a it's a free place to meet. Other than everyone sort of is expected to buy a meal, right? And not everybody can afford to do that. Yeah. And everyone's expected to sort of get themselves there, and not everyone can afford to do that. Right. So I think that that's an interesting thing, uh, a conundrum. I, I don't run an atheist group, and so I don't have to think about it much. But I, I thought I'd throw it out there because I know a lot of our listeners, you know, are on a board of an atheist group yeah. or are sort of, um, you know, in, in some leadership position in an atheist group. And I would love for all of you to just give you that to think about. Yeah, there, well, there are, it seems like it would be easy enough to set up a, a, a informal or formal ride program a ride oh, program would be great carpool carpool in i mean you could make it even like 
Just be like, hey, everybody should carpool. If yeah. you're like coming from the same part of town. It's a green choice. S- save some gas. And if there's anybody along the way that you could pick up, if there's right. room in your car and you have time and whatnot, of course, but like surely something could become like somebody could dream up something that would really help. And then you have the time in the car to chat and make a new friend. Right. You and, and you and I need to remember that uh, when we have a meetup, yeah. we'll have another one soon. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out a ride. We'll, we'll, fi- we'll, we'll figure out a way t- to make sure that everybody's accommodated. No, yeah. Nobody has to feel left out because they don't want the embarrassment of not being able to afford yeah. a meal or whatever. No, yeah. No. Okay. Thanks for writing in, y'all. Absolutely. Uh, if you guys... Uh, well, I have some people to thank, Dan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Please do that. Yeah, you know, because we have this thing on Patreon, which I would like to announce, by the way. We have a big announcement. We have officially met our goal our first goal yes uh and so within the very 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 near future we are going to be um videoing the two of us doing the show and we'll be posting that on youtube and this will be more than just uh putting a camera on in the room yeah we're 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 going all out on this so hopefully you guys will like that uh the tgia uh youtube channel will be on fire (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because, that's happening because of you guys right and so thank you so much to everybody who's who's helped out and helped us hit hit that goal uh we actually have another goal coming up uh yeah and uh and this goal so it's actually not that much more than where we're at right now so no. if we get people out get people um you know supporting the show um the next goal is uh we commit to doing two live shows a year where we travel out to wherever you guys want us to go. Where, wherever the, you are. In the 48, you know, states. And beyond if we can. But, uh, well, this is... If, if we get if, some supplemental help. Right. Uh, like, but like, in the states, we are we are committed to, on our dime, coming to you yeah. uh, in, in, in these United States and, uh, and, and doing a show and meeting all of you people. We want to get out there. So... We can't. We can, We will be able to do that once we hit uh, our next goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, why don't we thank the people who helped yeah, help us get let's to this thank, goal? Let's thank these folks. Um, we have new. Uh, let me let me get my little chart out. Here we go. Here we go. We have new members of the faithful, Dan. Yes. Who I'd like to thank. Uh, actually, one new member of the thankful of the faithful, uh, Shelley. Shelley. Thank you, Shelley. Uh, and then we have two new venerable uh, l- l- listeners, uh, Robbie and James. Ooh. So thank you guys. We venerate you. And then uh, two new beatified listeners, oh. uh, Nora and Deb. Awesome. So thank you to everyone uh, involved. And of course, thanks to uh, James, who's still the... Our Savior. Our Savior. King of the show. Amazing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Podcast. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, kids, today we have on the show Dr. Michael Ferguson. Uh, He's a, a brain scientist Ooh. do you study you study brains i'm sure that there's a more official way of referring to that 
I do. I work with the Human Neuroscience Institute, and I love the brain. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fancy little organ we got going on up in our noodles right there. Uh, does a lot of fun things. Plenty for you to study, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Lifetimes. <laughs> uh, you are a, oh, God, and I've forgotten it. You are a something-something at uh, Cornell University. What? <laughs> What's your current position there, Cornell? So it's a postdoctoral associate, okay. and I, uh, I'm both a lecturer as well as a researcher. Mm. Excellent. So the reason we want to thank you so much, by the way, for coming on to our show. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, we wanted to talk to you about a couple of things. It turns out you are, in, you are, you are deep, deeply involved in, uh, in some things that are very, uh, very much of interest uh, to us and hopefully to our listeners. So uh, we've decided to make, to do two interviews with you. Uh, this week we're going to talk about a, a, a study that you were uh, involved in, that you were one of the authors on. And, uh, and then next week we'll talk to you about a, a lawsuit that you were involved in, if that's all right with you. That sounds great. Thank you. So tell us, uh, so, okay, big headlines came out a couple weeks ago. Big headlines about this study at the University of Utah that's basically the whole study was revolving around proving that religion is like sex. Is that right? <laughs> that was our that was our goal. <laughs> no, I, so that it was very funny. A lot of the headlines said, you know, feeling the spirit uh, in in is the same as, as having sex. It's the same. It triggers the same pleasure centers in the brain as having sex. I, I yeah. don't think that was what you guys were aiming yeah. at. Another we, one that really made me laugh was a headline, and the headline explicitly said, "Religious individuals cannot distinguish prayer and heroin." I was like, "Oh man, that, that, wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the conclusion." That's a good one. So, so what the hell was your study about then? So we um, were very curious to know what is going on inside of the brain of religious people mm. when they're having experiences that they say are very, very real to them. Mm -hmm. So they're very highly subjective. Um, but if it's so profound and so moving um, and associated with physiological responses, then this is something we should be able to see. Um, and we designed an fMRI study. So fMRI is functional magnetic resonance imaging. And it is a tool that is transforming our understanding of human nature. Right. So there's tons to talk about with that. With fMRI, you're able to put people inside of, um, you know, an, an enclosed space. And so you are limited right. as to the types of tasks and activities that the person can actually participate in. You are able, though, to have them watch audiovisual presentations. And, you know, it turns out that for, for Mormons, for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that really important parts of worship involve watching videos, whether it's general conference or going to the temple. It's like, or, you know, meeting with the missionaries, like Mormons and the LDS church specifically has invested lots and lots of money to make really religiously evocative audiovisual presentations. Right. And so we thought, well, they've done the heavy lifting actually. <laughs> so let's just go ahead and plug that in and see what's happening inside of the brain. Um, yeah, so we also had religious individuals participating in um, scripture study since, you know, as I'm guessing lots of the listeners are familiar with, that a, a big part of Mormon faith life 
involves connecting to God through scriptures and through prayer. Right. Um, now, the, the, so, the Mormon, the, the, the choice of, uh, so your study specifically was a study of Mormons, uh, at least at, at this level, right? You, you, didn't, you didn't look at anybody else. We will eventually. This is the thing, is that fMRI studies are really expensive. Right. These are not small pieces of equipment, and they've got a big, unfortunate price tag associated with them. So this was, in some ways, uh, a pilot study, mm. meaning that we wanted to create a proof of concept. And now that we have successfully created a proof of concept for looking at discrete neural responses for mystical and spiritual practice— we're going to start uh, seeking funding to do this more broadly. Um, and so specifically, I really want to look inside of Catholic ecstatic religious experience and mm. then also Muslim ecstatic religious experience. Yeah, I think it's it's it. I think Mormons were an was it were are a fascinating choice for your for the first study because Mormons are so trained. And, you know, both Frank and I were, were raised LDS. We're, we're so well trained to, quote unquote, feel the spirit mm -hmm. like we're yeah. the the pump is primed for 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 that. We, yeah. Matter of fact, it's, Mormon well, men who don't uh, who don't exhibit any emotion anywhere else in their lives will cry their little eyes out yeah. when they yeah. get to church because of because of this training. So it's an an, an an interesting choice. And there's actually really interesting molecular explanations for that. So this is, you know, for the podcast listeners, I'll go actually a little bit beyond the data that we presented in this first paper, because we have more data on these participants and we were able to publish in just one study. Ooh, ooh uh, exclusive, TGIA only. <laughs> exclusive. So um, one of the results that was really provocative was to look at levels of oxytocin. Oh, yeah. And that's, so oxytocin, that's the good stuff. Yep. Oxytocin is involved in bonding at multiple scales. And so intimate partner bonding, um, bonding with your, your group or your tribe or like your ethnic community, etc. That is where oxytocin really comes into play. This is a brain um, chemical that we're talking about, right? It, it is a brain chemical. It's a neurochemical, but it's also one that circulates through the entire body. Mm. And so it's released from the brain, but it has a top-down systemic effect. Okay. And what did you find vis-a-vis -vis oxytocin in this uh, study? So it appears, and I will put a caveat on this as well, that there, there are some issues right now in the field with oxytocin blood research um, and that corresponding to neural levels. So, okay, so there is a caveat here. Um, but what we were able to observe is that the oxytocin levels in the blood were related to individuals having more sensitive responses to spiritual feelings. Hmm. Meaning, I, I'm sorry, I'm not sure I follow that. Oh, so, so meaning that like, you know, presumably if someone has a very strong attachment uh -huh. to the religious group or to the religious community or the religious identity, then they're going to have oxytocin released when they're having some kind of a religious cue that relates to family or to the church. Mm. And so um, what we were looking at in the study was the reward system, um, which is the nucleus accumbens. And it's got lots of molecules going on, but dopamine is the one that people think of a lot with reward. So the, so the big picture here, as far as how these molecules are dancing back and forth with each other, is that it seems that if you have a strong attachment to your religious community, it bumps up your oxytocin and, and makes your nucleus accumbens more sensitive 
to these religious cues. Mm. So that, like you're saying, then the, the, you have guys who outside of Mormonism, like wouldn't be crying, but then they get inside of the setting of like a testimony meeting or a missionary zone conference where you've got your, your group that you're bonded to that's right there with you. Your oxytocin is flowing, making your brain really sensitive psychologically. Right. And then you start having that dopamine release that causes the chills and the crying mm. and the burning in the bosom. Mm. Interesting. So now, he, wow. th- what's interesting about this is to watch, you know, comment sections in in you know in in articles about this study because you've got two groups of people interpreting this these ideas entirely differently (laughs) on one side you've got a bunch of believers going see this proves that it's true because look at how our brains light up when we have these experiences and on the other side you have a bunch of people going see this proves that it's not true because it's just a brain experience it's not a spiritual experience right right What, what 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 can you say about that So I'll speak in the same order in which you presented them. So to the individuals who are saying that by nature of there being some material aspect to feeling the spirit, that it validates the epistemological truth and knowledge claims about religious doctrine, Uh that you need to keep in mind that delusional thought is also a process in the brain. And so if you put (laughs) schizotypy individuals and looked at what was happening in their brain when they were communing with dead relatives like right you would see the same regions light up um there's you know basically there's an impoverished appreciation across the board for the way that thought is a is related to the brain that if you're thinking about something that means your brain is doing something and so the simple fact that you can think about god is itself reason to assume that God will show up in your brain, so to speak, when you're thinking about God, but that would be really, really silly and circular to say that that somehow then proves the fact claims that you're making about God. Right. Almost like, yes, like saying that the fact that God is mentioned in the Bible proves that the Bible's true or something like that. Right, 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 right. That if you're thinking about something then your brain is going to be doing something. It's not, it's not interesting that your brain did something when you thought about something. What's interesting is what did your brain do when right. you thought about something? Yeah, and this is a pretty – I mean the fact that people uh, – it's, it's, is, it, is this an atypical response? Uh, or are people responding more strongly to this than they do to other stimuli? Oh, yeah. And, this is, and it's also – Um, a very specific response. And this is what was fascinating is that across the entire group that it was the same neural signature. Yeah. Hmm. That's really interesting. So, so by way of contrast, because I've looked before at the brains of Zen monks when they were meditating. Hmm. And in this particular study, when these Zen monks went into a state of self-transcendence, their brains all did different things from one another. Oh, interesting. So, so somehow the practice of Zen doesn't lead to a universal brain experience, but the practice of Mormonism does? <laughs> not in the same way, not in the same way, that there's a certain type of uh, social conformity right. that is the element in the religious training for Mormonism and for a lot of 
a lot of traditions, not just Mormonism. Right. Um, but at least for this particular school of Zen monastics, there was not that same level of conformity effect that we saw within the Mormon population. That that I find actually very interesting. I, I don't. Do, do you have a sense of what could account for that difference? Um, well, I think that a lot of it has to do with the um, ideas that were associated with, you know, the spiritual content for these Zen practitioners versus for the Mormon participants. Mm. So, for example, like within Mormonism, um, the the peak, if you were to say to a typical Mormon, and we did, we asked them, you know, what are some of the most spiritual parts of your belief? Like, what is the most meaningful part of your belief? Um, that it involves family, um, it involves the religious leaders themselves, so symbols of the religious community, mm. um, and then also Jesus, which is um, a, a, like a personified, it's a human form that you can respond to conceptually in the same way that you can respond to other humans hmm. versus a Zen type of self-transcendence where your target, the highest concept in the spiritual system is not a personified form. Right. It's, it's not, it's, it's barely a concept. Right. It's not the attachment to your family. Right. It's not, I mean, it's like they're, they're, they're actually actively trying to not have attachments. Right. Hmm. Yeah. It's yeah, exactly. When the goal is, is non-attachment, I can see how that would go in many different directions rather than a, a sort of sort, attachment seems so focused and directed because you have an object of that attachment sort of That's presented right. to you. That's right. So I would say that the underlying process in the brain, just like you're identifying on that axis of non-attachment versus attachment is going to have this, this like normalizing effect, if you will, where what happens in the brain of Mormons when they think that they're being spiritual, is unified by attachment-based processes. Then you add to that the conceptual indoctrination, mm. where all of the concepts are also unified, versus like you were just noting with Zen, like the, 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 the purpose is to not have a concept. Right. Yeah, I guess that's... that's... I'm fascinated. I love. It. I could talk about this stuff for hours. <laughs> I, I'm I'm struggling really to keep this uh, conversation yeah. something that I that our listeners would also find interesting. Well, I think we could return. So we've talked about the one response and sort of online mm. um, to the study. What about yep. the the other response? What about all of us atheists who are yeah. convinced that this proves that athe that God is just a figment of all of their uh, of all of these Mormons' imaginations? What about us? Yeah, I would say that, uh, well, there's lots of things I would say. Um, one of them is just a philosophical note that the observation that material systems can at least be co-participant in dualistic metaphysical systems does not and cannot be interpreted as a reduction or an elimination of a dualistic metaphysical hypothesis about the nature of the universe. Damn it. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. But it does put constraints on it. And so if you can't eliminate it, but you can constrain it, that's still a pretty good step forward. 
So talk to me about what that means, because you just used a heck of a lot of big words. Can we can we okay. boil that down just absolutely, a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. What it means is that you can't just let people get away with saying whatever the heck they want to say about the way that the brain and the spirit interact with each other. And you have to reckon with the fact that if you're going to take seriously this metaphysical proposition that some personified, intelligent, invisible being is somehow interacting with that person and their brain, right? then your, your theory now has the onus upon it to incorporate why and how the spirit works with the reward system. Right. Although, you know, it makes sense to me that I'll just, I will say that if I, as a, as, as some sort of mystical being were trying to interact with humans, dumping some dopamine into their system would be a good way for them to, you know, if I have that power, I'm going to get them to like me. they'll, They'll enjoy, they'll enjoy my presence. If I just, uh, trigger a little dope every now and then. So then it becomes an interesting question theologically if you're interested in theology. If you're not interested in theology, then there are no interesting theological questions, and I respect <laughs> that. <laughs> but as to the ethics, like the divine ethics of this being, if this being now is able to tinker with human behavior and cognition in so powerful of a way, then what is the ethical threshold for the divine action of mm. that being? I, I think also what we're dealing with here I, I very clearly, I, and you mentioned this when you started talking about the study at the beginning of our interview, is that we've also got a religion here. We don't we don't have to place all of this, uh, all of these ethical questions at the feet of the of the almighty. We can also just talk about the ethics of this religion that produces a shit ton of really spiritual videos and really, really emotional <laughs> No, through, okay, so let me just put like the dog whistle out that if any of your listeners want to get all like investigative journalistic and look at the heart cell trademark, that would be really, really fascinating to do some digging around there. Um, the heart cell trademark by Bonneville Communications was the patented technology that was being used to generate these media productions. Um, it's now like you can't find the heart cell trademark on Bonneville communications website anymore. They've wisened up a little bit and taken that down. Um, heart cell, you're saying heart cell. Sp- yeah. Spell that for me. Uh huh. H E R. Sorry. H E A R T S E L. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought it was, but I, you know, maybe C E L L. I wasn't sure where, where they were going with that, but the, mm-hmm. this, so this is, this is an idea that they've used to try and directly manipulate people's emotions. Is that what you're claiming? Or what? Or yes. what? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And that now that they've covered their tracks for it. Oh, it's wow. the conspiracy theories will abound. I love it. I love. But I mean, and they don't have to be theories. It sounds like they are. I mean, of course they're doing that. Of course they're going to invest in ways of more effectively releasing that dopamine, getting those, getting that oxytocin flowing. You know what I mean? That's right. So that. So, but, but. In your research, does that mean that you you believe that it, that these would be uh, effective tools to uh, to to draw people in or keep people in? Um, in well, it depends what the objective is, right? <laughs> like, if the right. objective is to train people into very strict socialized behavior that becomes habit forming, then that's great. You're doing a really good job. 
if the goal is to like make people open to new experiences and to transcend their tribal loyalties, then oh no, that's not the goal. This is, yeah, maybe this is not <laughs> the best way to do that. <laughs> no, that's that's nobody's goal. That's, <laughs> that's if if you're running a religion, that's the opposite of the goal you want. Yeah, this is why the quest of the rational mystic becomes a lone quest very quickly. Mm. The rational, the quest. Did you just plug a book you haven't written yet? Is that what just happened? <laughs> the quest of the <laughs> rational mystic. <laughs> no, but that should be one. Yeah, that's a title. <laughs> you, you keep that. Keep that under wraps. Well, this is fascinating. Talk to me about uh, where your your research is going. What are you, what, what what are you doing with this stuff? Where are you headed? Yeah, so a couple of different directions. Um, I really want to understand how moral development works in the brain. So if you were to take individuals who, you know, let's imagine two different situations. One situation is just the normative developmental process. So these would be adolescents. That if you looked at the way that adolescents develop, both psychologically, but also at the neural and the functional level, a concept of morality. I would be really interested to see how these religious influences interact with that. Mm. Um, and then are there other sources of moral education, you know, that are not religious per se from home life or just from social life or from school life um, or just independent searching and being a thoughtful individual? And do those contribute to an individual's sense of what is good in the same way, um, meaning like through these basic strategies of representation through the reward system. Um, right. There's, you know, there's another uh, really important region of the brain that lit up a lot when Mormons reported to be feeling the spirit, and that's called the medial prefrontal cortex. Mm. So the prefrontal cortex is a region that, you know, um, like speaking kind of fast and loose about the brain, it's like the region that makes us human, that, you know, <laughs> it supports a lot of our abstract thought processes. Okay. Um, it's involved in moral values. Um, it's involved in constructing our concept of selfhood and personhood. Okay. That sounds so, like, that sounds like a, a, a pretty useful part of the brain. Right. It's a pretty useful part of the brain. Um, and so this is one of the things that actually speaks to the oversimplification in the media about saying that the brain response to spiritual feelings in Mormons is the same as the brain response to drugs. Because in a response where it's just a pure hit of reward from the drug, you're not going to get the involvement of these centers for higher thought. All right. So there, there is something going on in the way that this person's worldview or view of self or moral value system is being reinforced when they're having a spiritual experience. So again, from the from the developmental point of view, I want to understand how are adolescents developing right. their sense of what is good and what is moral. Um, and then a second set of individuals that I think would be really interesting to study are those who are going through some kind of a conversion process mm. um, where their moral framework is being transformed. And so these could be converts to a religion, these could be missionaries going through the MTC. These could be MTC. Soldiers. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt oh, and say sorry, MTC is the Mormon Missionary Training Center. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And so you have a very regimented life. Um, 
you know, my companion in the MTC had never read the Book of Mormon before he went to the MTC. And so for a lot of individuals, they're like having their first real exposure to religious education and training. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so I would be very interested to see how does the brain and the psychology of an individual transform yeah, in we, some kind of a process like this. We need to hook you up with uh, with Peter Bogosian, who's, who's a philosophy guy who wrote a manual for creating atheists mm. and, and who claims that he uh, he has this sort of the, the tools necessary to deconvert people from religion. Mm, interesting. That might be an interesting direction for you to go. Yeah, and if it's and if it's playing on the same processes here, yeah, that, you know, it's any. I think that also, you know, speaking in terms of just general conversion or general transformation uh-huh. of of moral values, even outside of religion, think about what happens when an individual joins armed forces. That they go to boot camp where their entire moral structure is taken apart and replaced with something else. Right. And I'm very interested to see how, again, at the level of both the mind and the brain, how does that transformation actually take for its consequences? Fascinating stuff. I like it. Yeah. I just basically outlined my next 20-year research agenda. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll have you back on in 20 years then to talk okay, about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Michael Ferguson, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. We'll have you on again next week. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, next week we're going to be discussing um, something that isn't as scientifically fun, but uh, is, is – something a very important topic we're going to be talking about your involvement in a lawsuit uh about gay conversion therapy mm-hmm. uh, right. so that'll be that'll be really interesting uh speaking, speaking of conversion well, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly well there you go there's your the, now you've got your uh your 40 year plan yeah exactly <laughs> All right. thank you so much for coming on the show we really appreciate it you bet talk to you soon guys bye-bye well, that was a treat. That was nice having Michael on the show with us. Absolutely. Uh, he'll be on next week, as we said. Uh, uh, hey, thanks uh, to everybody on... I'm going to rethink everybody who's a, a Patreon donor. Uh, yeah. What we didn't say last uh, when we were talking about them is how, they can, how other people can donate to us if they want to become a Patreon donor, uh, which is to go to thankgodimatheist.com and just click on the, uh, the Patreon button yeah there and you'll and you'll you'll see you'll see how to do it yeah just it, follow the it just sends you along you and then you just sign up for a, a recurring uh per show donation at your discretion the no, the amount is is up to you to decide. absolutely well i want to thank uh mckenzie for all her hard work on the facebook page and thanks to the red rock hot club for the use of their music at, oh. the, at the opening and the close of the show. Right, and for the middle music, for that great organ music that we play, thank you to Gordon Johnson for that. And thank you, dear, dearest of listeners, for listening. Yeah, we sure do appreciate it when you do. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.